Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the big M word, and that is marriage. And who better to do this with than the executive director of the Marriage Foundation here in the UK? And this is Michaela Hyde. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Zuby. You're most welcome. Um, so I've done a really brief intro right there, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yes. So as you've said, I'm the Executive Director of Marriage Foundation. It's a UK charity. Um, it started in 2012. And it's a really interesting story, actually. I wasn't there at the beginning. I heard about it later on and found myself getting involved. Um, but the story behind it is, is a High Court judge, Sir Paul Coleridge, um, who had been working in the family justice system for um, 44 years and 15 of them as a High Court judge. And he'd been seeing the impact of family breakdown on, on families time and time again and seeing that actually some of the kids were the, the ones who were the, the, those most challenged by it all and the ones who were really hurt by this whole process. And so he decided he wanted to do something about this and set up Marriage Foundation to, to really look at marriage and the value of marriage and the difference it can make. And just to make it clear, not from a moral standpoint, but really looking at the stats and saying, okay, let's think about the choices we're making for us and our kids. Mm. So that's Marriage Foundation. And I'm also coordinator of UK National Marriage Week, which is 11th and 17th of May, which is when this podcast is going out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really great opportunity just to celebrate relationships and marriage. And in fact, although it's described as UK National Marriage Week, we absolutely invite people who are married and those in a relationship to join in and invest in their relationship. Awesome. So given your work and what you've just said there, it's obvious that you are, you are very passionate about marriage. Now, I'm not, I could answer that question potentially. I, I could guess why you may be, but what, what, would be the, uh, what would be the answer as to why you are? Why is that something you feel you want to dedicate so much of your life and your work to? I think it's one of those things. I mean, I've been married for 20 years myself so I, I guess, you know, 
that means I, I'm already saying, yes, this is a good thing. My husband will be so pleased to hear that as well. I'm sure he'll be endorsing <laughs> this. So, uh, you know, he's not in the room now, but, you know, he'll be listening. Um, but I think as well, um, within marriage, there's something very significant about that point of when, you know, when we've made promises to one another. And I think with, with marriage, what makes it something that feels very special is that point of commitment. Mm-hmm. So when, when we both agreed, yes, we want to spend the rest of our lives together, it removed any ambiguity that there might have been in the relationship, if you like. So up until that point, when you're dating, when you're seeing somebody for however long that might be, until you get talking about forever, if you like, mm-hmm. there is uncertainty perhaps about what the future might look like for you both. Marriage completely, as I say, removes that. And by making that commitment from the outset, you're being intentional about mm. your relationship, about your, your life together. And being intentional basically improves the chances of your relationship lasting and working. And it's an interesting one because I, you know, I've got friends and family, those who are married, those who aren't. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things, people often talk about marriage being something that's on the decline, that there are fewer marriages taking place. That is true. There are fewer marriages taking place, but it is still the relationship choice that most people choose. And interestingly, it's statistically three times as likely to last and succeed compared with couples who who are living together. That's not to say that if they're living together, it can't work, but it just means it's a little bit more unusual. So I always say when I share these kind of stats, you know, you know, there's all people, all sorts of circumstances. I'm not here to make a judgment. I'm just here to inform people and say, okay, make the right choice for for your relationship. If you want your relationship to last and work a lifetime, there's far more chance statistically of that happening if you make that commitment in marriage. And and I love it. I love the point of being married. It doesn't mean that it's always easy, you know. Sure. You've, you've met my husband very briefly when he brought me my cup of tea. <laughs> nightmare to live with, I can tell you. But, you know, no, no. Seems like a <laughs> lovely know, guy. Let's, let's be real, you know. I think that's the other thing. There's often this kind of idea of, of you know, marriage being shiny and lovely and how it's depicted on TV. It's either going brilliantly, isn't it, or it's all crashing down it looks awful Mm. but the reality is life has its ups and downs and we are on a journey together doing that and I'd much rather be on a journey with him working through that kind of stuff than without awesome so you've just mentioned uh, the word stats and statistics a couple of times so are there some stats or some numbers that you can sort of say off the top of your head which might be sort of interesting or perhaps even surprising to listeners yeah, okay. Um, I mean, one thing I think that probably would surprise people is that um, approximately three quarters of teenagers and young people still aspire to be married, mm-hmm. even more importantly than their careers. And that's a UK stat, so we're talking about UK. But obviously, often these kind of stats, they reflect other nations as well. Sure. Um So I think that's one thing that does surprise people. It's still an aspiration for young people. Mm. But I think the difference is there's a mismatch between that aspiration and what they think is actually possible. And almost, again, coming back to what we're trying to do at Marriage Foundation and with Marriage Week, is trying to say, actually, marriage is possible. It doesn't, don't think because we're in a different time that actually marriage is only possible for your grandparents. Mm. Marriage can still work and last now. And you want to give young people that sense of hope, knowing that it's going to give them a secure future and secure future for their, for their own kids as well. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other ones that probably really impacted me 
and was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved with Marriage Foundation. Um, that we look at a lot of stats around families, parents with children. And so of all parents in the UK with children, 19% of them will be living together and mm. cohabiting, and the rest will be married couples. Um, but interestingly and startlingly, um, 50% of all family breakdown comes from couples who are living together, um, even though only sort of 19% of them are actually sort of, you know, sort of cohabiting. So okay. they, a far greater proportion will be kind of breaking down. And again, I always say that and say, guys, if you're in that situation where you're not married, it's not that this is to frighten people. It's to say, just stop and have a little think. And mm. I do a podcast with my husband called The M Word Podcast. Mm. And uh, we talk about something which is actually the theme of this year's Marriage Week, and it's called The Forever Conversation. So if you're in a situation and you're not married and you've got family, I would say to you, well, even if you have got, you know, whether you have family or not, and you've been together for quite a, some time, have you had the forever conversation together? Have you talked about what forever might look like? Because that in itself provides, starts to provide stability. And it might be you go on to that point of saying, okay, we're going to get married or we're going to have a civil partnership, but we're going to formalize this commitment to one another. Mm-hmm. And it just makes people more intentional. You know, if you, if you sign up for something like a marathon, okay, all right, once you've signed up to do it, yeah. you're then committed, okay? Yeah. But if you just talk about, oh, I'm going to do a marathon, you know, I'm going to do the training, you're less likely to follow through the training unless you've signed up for it. Sure. And I think when you make a commitment to another person formally, mm-hmm. it's like you're signing up to that person. And so you're more intentional and you want to make it work, which Absolutely. is why that stability for kids. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, I'm very, um, I'm certainly pro, pro marriage myself. I'm not married, but um, I'm very much in, in favor of it and aspire to it eventually. I think, um, you know, this isn't for me specifically. But as you know, a guy who's now in my in my thirties and who spends a lot of time talking to people all over the world from all different backgrounds and everything, yeah. you know, being totally honest, so like I'm very blessed. I'm from a very stable family. My parents have been together yeah. for forty something years now. You know, I'm I'm one of five kids. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've seen uh, you know hundreds, if not thousands, of examples of great marriages and relationships and everything throughout my life. And I'm happy to have seen that. Um, But there are other people. I mean, I myself have also seen, and there are a lot of other people who have also seen, especially kids of, I don't even want to say kids, right? People of of my generation who, you know, a lot of them, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but a huge percentage have come from, uh, you know, parents who have had, you know, sometimes somewhat amicable divorces, but oftentimes terrible divorces, or, you know, what people refer to as broken families, broken households, all that kind of thing. It's very, it's very, very common, I think, especially amongst people my age and, you know, maybe give or 10, sorry, give or take 10 years or so. So I know that when I talk to my friends, especially my, my male friends who are around my age, you know, I think all of us pretty much aspire to be married if we're not already, mm. but there is, you know, you, you were talking statistics earlier, right? And sometimes the statistics on the flip side also do scare people, right? Because yeah. people are looking at that. And then anecdotally, if you're someone who maybe, you know, that your own parents divorced and your friend's parents mm-hmm. divorced and everybody you know's parents divorced and you haven't really seen many examples of what look like successful 
long-term marriages that actually do end up being forever as they are intended to be, then yeah. you can understand how people become somewhat jaded or yeah. you know, just very apprehensive and yeah. don't really believe in the concept. Even if they like the idea, they, to, them, to them, the reality is not the same as the idea, right? People say yeah. forever, but it's like, well, you know, maybe their parents said forever and it, didn't, it wasn't forever. You know, the, yeah. the people they know there said forever, but it wasn't forever. So they themselves yeah. just have that natural apprehension. I don't know what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. And as you say, I know friends and family, you know, who have gone through separation um, and divorce and splits and whatever. And it's really tough. And I think one thing that we would never say is it's not that every single marriage will, of course, work and last. And, you know, anybody listening to this will know of people who you think, thank goodness that the marriage did break up, you know, in truth, because it was just, you know, traumatic it was you know all these other things um I think what I would say is I know again people say I'll never get married you know um my my own nephew talked before about you know not wanting to get married because of breakdown he'd seen going on Mm -hmm. and it's almost this idea that it's like marriage is somehow like a bad omen you know it's the marriage that is killing the relationship Mm -hmm. and I think actually if we stop and think about it in a rational way it's not it's not the marriage the thing that you've done that's broken the relationship. It's the relationship itself that has broken down within marriage. So I think almost, there's almost like a superstition around that. And I think if you've come from a broken home, it can sometimes feel like that. Or as you've said, you've seen hurt and pain going on. Um, And there's a couple other things I'd like to say on that. One is actually um, people often imagine that that marriages break down um, and it's really acrimonious and there's lots of fighting and it's like, thank goodness it's all ended, et cetera. What's really interesting, again, one of our stats demonstrates actually the biggest reason why marriages break up is drifting apart. So it's not the big arguments. And I think we've got on our stats saying 60% of couples a year before breaking up were perfectly happy with each other. This was mm-hmm. from a big study that was done. And actually, it's this drifting apart. So I would say if you're thinking, actually, at one time I liked the idea of marriage, but you know what? I haven't seen it working. Or I haven't seen it happening in my area that makes me want to do that. Okay. I would say that, you know, think again about that. Because for one thing, it's about what we invest in it as, as people as well. It's about mm-hmm. what you invest in that. And I think if you feel as though you've not had good examples of that, there are loads of courses and books and things that you can engage with. And people sometimes feel like, oh, with relationships, we should just know it all. You know, I was on a radio interview once, and literally, when I was talking to this, um, it was BBC London Radio, and um, the the presenter on there, and I was talking about doing courses, and she was horrified, and she was saying, (laughs) you know, this is crazy for a relationship, you might need a, you know, a a, you know, a, a course for your car, if you want to learn about cars or, you know, maybe to do calligraphy or something, but for your mm. relationship. And I mm. said to her, I said, do, do you know what? If my car breaks down, I'm a little bit sad, but you know what? It's not the end of the world. I said, if my relationship breaks down, it's a far bigger deal. So sure. I want to invest in that. So I'd say partly, you know, don't shy away from it. Don't wait for things to go wrong if you are married before you do a marriage course or Invest in it, do it beforehand to make what's good even better. Mm. But the other side is, don't imagine that if you decide to live with somebody and not get married, that's a risk-free choice. Because actually, it's not a risk-free choice. And it's interesting because people feel, oh, I'm not making a commitment, I'm not making a promise. 
But when people decide to move in together, there's a, a phrase from an American um, researcher um, talking about sliding and not deciding. You slide into a relationship, but you haven't actually made a decision about the future. Mm. So you might get your house, you might get a cute little dog together, and suddenly you're building these constraints in place, mm -hmm. which can actually make it really difficult to kind of move out of that. And you've got two people in that relationship. And you know how as a nation we're really keyed up on equality. Things need to be fair, you mm -hmm. know. And whatever our circumstance, whether it's your gender or background or rate, you know, being female, you know, things aren't always fair for the women or whatever it might be, okay. Mm -hmm. um, we want equality. Do you know something? If you get married, there is a new kind of equality because if you stay living together, there will always be one person who is more committed to that relationship than the other person. And the person who's more committed will have less power than the person mm. who isn't committed because they kind of call the shots. Okay. So it's not a risk-free choice to kind of start living together. Okay. Would that not also apply potentially in a marriage though? The, the thing you just said about the sort of power dynamic there or the potential inequality? I, I think the thing is that it's absolutely, there is obviously you've got those constraints, but you are less likely to find yourself in that situation because you've already had that conversation about committing mm. to one another. And what happens is it's almost like inertia sets in when you're in that cohabiting situation and it becomes harder to actually challenge that. And I, I can give you an example directly of a couple that ended up being together for seven years mm -hmm. and actually after those seven years they they broke up and she always wanted him to get married he used to say it makes no difference his parents are married he'd say it makes no difference it's just mm -hmm. a piece of paper mm -hmm. but actually she always wanted it and for sure if they'd had that point of commitment they probably would have ended an unpromising relationship much earlier on yeah. so i think it again it can reduce that heartache of carrying on together in a relationship that you're not sure about, that you've not really made exact decisions about for the future. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's a very real talk question because this is real talk with Zuby. So speaking as a man, certainly I can say for a lot of modern men, rightly or wrongly, we, a lot of us have the position that the sort of institution of marriage in the modern Western world is in favor of women, essentially. So I know that there are a lot of young men out there who, it sounds a bit like this guy you were saying there, who feel like the, kind of like the game is a little bit rigged, right? Like it's not, <laughs> it's not so much in their favor. So I don't, think, I don't think a lot of guys would sort of express this honestly and openly. But I know from, you know, lots of private conversations and conversations online and offline that a lot of guys are kind of like, well, what is the, what's, what's the real benefit to me here, right? I can see the potential, I can see the potential risk here, but why, why don't I just stay, you know, 80% in, but keep that 20% that the government's not involved. There's no formal pieces of papers being signed, right? It's yeah. kind of get the, you know, get those sort of benefits that, that somebody may want, which may even include, um, you know, some level of stability may even include children and things like that. Like me, myself, I'm, I'm like, what would block me from that personally is like my own sort of religious values. But yeah. if, if I were not religious, 
then I'm not so sure from a purely pragmatic perspective, I would really be in disagreement with that. So I can certainly see where people who think like that are coming from. And it does certainly seem to be far more common amongst men. Um, So I don't know, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? And then following up from that, what can individuals or societies maybe do to make the whole concept of marriage more appealing, both to, both to men and to women, but I think sort of specifically to young men who might be in that 18 to 35 sort of age bracket where a, a lot of guys are just kind of like, ooh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know here. I don't know here. What do you think? So just to clarify, what do you think are the specifics that kind of are things that the guys think, okay, it's weighted in the female's favor. What, give me some specific examples of that so I can then answer. What, what kind the, of things the, you- the, the big obvious one is potential divorces and uh, alimony where that is relevant, right? A lot of men have seen even men of status, right? Rich, famous celebrities, whatever. You know, we've seen a lot of men get chopped in half in, you know, bad divorces, whether they, you know, they lose millions or even billions in some cases, or they lose their house or they lose their children. And it seems like, I don't know what the percentages are. You you were were talking about stats. I mean, I know that in terms of things like child custody, for example, the probability of the, the woman gaining custody is way higher than it is for the men. And I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are. I think it's, I think it's 70% plus off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, guys see that and they also see it in real life and perhaps, perhaps some of them have experienced it in their own life. Mm. Um, and so I know, like I said, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a a sort of taboo topic. And I I think a lot of guys don't really want to speak that honestly or sort of show that Mm. vulnerability, but I know that it's in in a lot of guys' brains of thinking like, Ooh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be another story of another guy who, uh, you know, kind of goes through this thing and then ends up, ends up in a worse situation, actually. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a difficult one because in part, we could argue that as a society now that, uh, that women are working and are, you know, have an income. And so actually, it's a lot more of an equal kind of footing in terms of the financial side of things. Um, as far as kids and who has custody of them, that's mm. always a tricky thing. Um, I've known situations actually of divorce happening. And actually, the guy didn't really want to have that much to do with the kids afterwards. Oh, so that, you can, that happens too, yeah. You get all the stories around that. And I think that actually, um, in one respect, you could argue that marriage is a risk because mm. if you like, you know, we can make short-term commitments to something because we get an idea of what the future looks like. Mm. But marriage is this long-term commitment and we don't know what the future holds. And I think that's why actually you get things right with yourselves as couples. You get yourself prepared for that moment of thinking, mm what this looks like and why it's important. And I think there will always be different risks, emotionally, financially, um, for both sides, actually, for men and for women. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if we are wanting to get the best out of a relationship, it is worth taking the risk. And I can't give anybody any guarantees that Mm -hmm. those things aren't going to happen. But what I can say is that, that today, even though fewer marriages are happening, the marriage, the divorce rate is going down in terms of chances of couples getting divorced. So what I'm saying here is that when people are marrying now, more of those marriages are staying together compared to say back in the 80s when 
it divorce rate was at its peak. Okay, so in the UK, um, couples getting married today, as it were, mm-hmm. they've got a thirty three percent chance of divorcing. I think it might be thirty one percent now. Okay, back in the eighties, it was nearly fifty yeah. percent. So what we're finding and, is, and those and those people, those people born in the eighties now. Are are now those people who I'm talking about in that age yeah. bracket, and so yeah. that's where that apprehension comes from. Because you know, like we say, you, if you said forty, what did you say? It was fifty percent in the eighties, so that's like half of my generation essentially. Yeah, just are, come, just come out to might yeah. So, but I mean, the thing is, what's really interesting about that is one of the you know things we've reflected on is actually um, there isn't the social pressure to marry now. So if someone has a baby. There's no kind of you must get married that used to be. So people who are marrying are choosing marriage because it's their choice to be with that person. They're not feeling into it. And, of course, if you don't really marry for the right reasons from the outset or you marry because you feel like you're doing the right thing, which Mm -hmm. people used to feel, well, then, of course, that's a a marriage that's starting off on a bit of a bad footing. You're kind of, you know, already thinking, well, I'm just trying to do the right thing. Is it about can the two of us spend the rest of our lives together? Can we, you know, connect with one or in that way? Mm. So actually, you know, for anybody listening who's, who's been worried about that, that kind of stuff, just be encouraged because the divorce rate, the chances of divorce, it's plummeting. It's getting yeah. better. The chances of you divorcing is getting less and less. Yeah. So it's, it's a good news story, actually. Um, you know, marriages are working, you know. And I'm saying all of that, and I'm saying it with a smile, and that's <laughs> not to take away from those who are going through difficulties. You know, that sure, is sure. going to happen. But, uh, you know. Right. I don't, I don't want to interrupt. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on, on what you just mentioned, actually, because you were saying before, for example, of course, if people, you know, if, if a couple did have a, you know, did have a child or a woman got pregnant, of course, it used to be the norm for that couple to get married. And I'll be, I'll be totally honest. I'm still in favor of that for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that is the inverted commas right thing to do. Um, What are your, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think that's a, I don't know. That's one of those things I'm very much in two minds on, right? Is that like a, is that a step forward or a step backwards? People no longer taking that attitude, uh, both from the male perspective and the female perspective, right? You know, I, I'm I'm kind yeah. of old school, traditional in that regard. Like, look, if you're if you're a guy, if you're a woman, you know, sort of step up and handle your duties, right? If you, yeah. if, you if you do something, then you've now got to, you know, I think there are exceptions, right? If it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is something that you know, both people know off the bat, this is totally not going going to work long term. Anything then probably shouldn't be sleeping with each other with each other to begin with but yeah that's another, <laughs> that's another thing assuming that's already happened um but in cases where you know there's at least a, a decent chance that it can work out then i am still sort of in in favor of that yeah i i, I think it is it's one of those things that you, there isn't a blanket answer to that for sure mm-hmm. and i think that if you've got couples, and again, I'm saying all of this and, you know, I wouldn't want to make a judgment on anybody listening who's in this situation because, you know, it's not my place to do that. And again, all the stuff we talk about, it's stats, statistics, all of this kind of stuff is to inform us to make good choices, not to feel, you know, judged by those. And stats should never be used to as a threat or, you know. Yeah. But I would say that when you're in a situation, if, if the couple who are together – um, you know, like you said, they're sleeping together and the relationship is something that's important and valuable and they think they can make that relationship work. Well, then 
then yeah, go ahead and and marry and you know and bring that kind of sense of stability. I think it still needs to be that sort of decision. But I think that in reality, there are people that will sleep with someone and an accident happens, and maybe that relationship was never really a real relationship. It was kind of like you know I don't know, just dating just for a couple of times, slept with each other, and you know mistakes happened, yeah. and that therefore is a is a couple that haven't really been about the relationship it's been about the sex so therefore is that the best start for a child really hard to say a really difficult one to call and I think that's when you know as as a society you know we need to be family to one another and we need to step Mm -hmm. in and care for those people and love those people and support those people um you know friends families around and so on and of course the, the tragic truth is that there will be those who don't have that kind of support and and again, you know, that's another kind of issue, isn't it? That's another concern that, you know, we could all kind of argue about. Yeah. But one, one thing that's made me think about, actually, this whole conversation about the likelihood of those things happening, one of the things that we talk about at Marriage Foundation is marriage as a social justice issue. And the reason we refer to that, one of our I other know, stats... No, those, are, those are dangerous words now. Yeah, I know. Well, I just the skin on someone's thing just pricked up when you said social justice. Like, uh oh. Yeah. This is real talk though, is it not? Okay. So, yeah, you know, they're in the real talk. So um, but we, we talk about it because in one of our stats is that um, for, for you know, for women who have got a child of around about five or you know, that that sort of age, eighty those whose incomes, like the family income is forty three K plus okay, 42,000 pounds plus, um, 87% of them will be married, okay? For those women with a child of around about five, if you like, that kind of age, that age bracket, only um, 24% of those women will be married if the income is around about 20,000, okay, or less. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing here is that those in poorer communities are less likely to marry, those who are richer, are more likely to go on to marry. And the other sad thing about this and why I mention it is because outcomes for kids um, are drastically reduced um, often if kids come from broken families. And again, it's another stat to inform us, not to scare us and to learn from it. But knowing that um, in that situation, kids are twice as likely to get into bother, you know, not to do well at school, to get Mm -hmm. involved in knife crime, to live you know, in, in, a, in a situation where there's poverty and they don't have enough. All of these reasons are reasons why, as nations, you know, as nations, we need to be supporting marriage for our countries. Sure. Not, again, from that moral point of view, but to say actually it does provide stability, along with learning around what that looks like. Mm. But it does provide stability and can improve life chances for kids. So, yeah, I mean, there's a the, the social justice side of thing can unravel further and further. But if you like, it's almost a way of preventing a lot of these things happening. If we can form stable, healthy relationships, and we know that can happen within yeah. marriage and partnerships. Yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, in my personal view, I think the most important thing when it comes to marriage is is children. Um, if I, I mean, to me, marriage and children are like those are the that's almost the same conversation to me. Like me personally, if I didn't want to have children, then I don't think I'd even consider, I don't think marriage would even be on my, on my radar. Like to me, it's just those two things are kind of, kind of part and parcel. Um, and I don't think, 
in an ideal world, I don't think people should be having children without being married. And if you're going to be married, I think you should probably have children too. That's kind of, that's kind of the point, but that, that's very much like my personal view there. I think as well, you know, the whole thing about kids, there's a couple of things on that. One is, you know, when, when you choose to marry, you're being intentional. You're saying, yes, yes I'm committing to you. And I think you need to be intentional when you have kids. You need to think, okay, let's have kids because, you know, I've got kids and it's been one of the best things and the hardest things in my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's brilliant, but it's challenging. So I think almost that, that foundation of choosing Choosing to get into this with that person is really important. I think the other thing I would say, though, is, um, again, I'm conscious there might be people who are married, who haven't been able to have kids and so on, and that presents another big kind of story. And I I would say that, that essentially... All of us, all of us are wired to to seek out reliable love, to find a love that is secure, that will back us, that will stay with us, that will be loyal. Mm. And I'm not saying that means every person will find that in marriage. It might be that you don't marry, but you have people around you that present that. But there is, we are hardwired that way yeah. to seek that out and to seek that companionship. And and I would say, for, for me personally, I, I did want to have children, and I'm so blessed that I that I had kids because I don't take that for granted. Um, there are days when I want to phone in sick, but you know, there are, <laughs> they, uh, you know that's now, now's a good, now's a good time. Um, but so, yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, certainly, you know, for me, my marriage, what it means to me is, you know, I get to spend my life with my best friend yeah. and you know, if you've got a best friend, you know, and you might be think about girls and you know, if you're, you know, your girlfriends or your boy boyfriends or whatever, but just people that you hang out with that are really good mates. Think about all those good things that you love about those people. And, and I guess that's something that I have with my husband. Doesn't mean to say he isn't annoying sometimes or that I'm not annoying to him. Let's make it fair here. <laughs> I can't imagine any time I'm annoying, but you know, I mean there must be. <laughs> but you know, the reality is we are we're in we're imperfect human beings. We are gonna be irritated. We're gonna be and I think particularly is an interesting thing to talk about at this time of isolation with the coronavirus mm. and you know the point of recording this, of course, is when it's all just hit off in the UK where everyone is having to really hold back, stay in, don't go anywhere. And suddenly your relationship is under the spotlight. Um, and, you know, it makes marriage week this year so much more poignant um, because it's that point of saying, okay, what are we doing to, you know, look after this relationship? The theme is the forever conversation for this year. Mm-hmm. And if you're married, the question is, what are you doing to make your relationship last forever? And I think when you're under, you know, when you're in quarantine like this and you're in close quarters, it's so important to talk about stuff, to, to be clear with each other, to not let the irritations bottle up, to try and talk about those things so that you can prepare for them. And also try and notice a lot of the good that you see. It's a time for noticing what's good. Um, equally, you know, if you're not married um, and maybe this time of quarantine has meant you've had to stay apart from somebody and that can be really tough as well, but maybe it's helped you reflect. So I say have the forever conversation and, you know, do it obviously by video like we're doing now or, you know, on the <laughs> phone or whatever, however you want to do it. But have a forever conversation with that person. If you've been dating for at least two years, you're ready to have a forever conversation and say, what does the future hold? Let's make a commitment to one another. Let's make this formal, however that might be. Mm. Um, and I do think that there's say that longing all of us to find that reliable love 
And reliable love means that there's no ambiguity, there's no uncertainty. Doesn't mean it's perfect, doesn't mean mistakes won't happen, doesn't mean that we won't still argue or get cross. If somebody says to you that they never argue or they never get cross, they're just oh, lying to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so no, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't want to cut you off. You were finishing a thought there. No, no, that's, I think, no? the end of that phrase. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay, cool. I want to, I, I just realized, you know, we, we started with um, a lot of the sort of risks and negatives and concerns. So I want, I want to switch this to uh, the, the more, more positive side of stuff very soon. What I, what I did want to know, though, uh, out of curiosity, because, you know, lots of different people have different views on this, is where do you think, what do you think is the role of various elements of our society and communities when it comes to marriage? So, of course, a marriage is between two individuals, but then, of course, you've also got their families, mm-hmm. but then you've also got wider society. You've got communities, you've got culture, you've got religious institutions, you've got the government. I mean, mm-hmm. what is the role of all of these things? So, for example, I mean, there are a lot of people who don't think that the government should even be involved in marriage, right? Like that mm-hmm. shouldn't be governmental yeah. business. I'm, I'm sort of in that camp as someone who's quite libertarian. I don't really think it's like government business. I think it's more about the individuals and the family and communities and if they're religious, any religious institutions there. But, um, but then, you know, other people have different perspectives. Some people think that the government should be, incent- especially in this time, should be incentivizing marriage, perhaps. If you look at countries now like Poland and um, Hungary, they're having very pro-natalist policies, in fact, because their yeah. rates have dropped so low. So I think now if you have, I think in Hungary, I think Nash, I think Hungarian citizens, I think for women, at least, I think if they have three or four children, I think they get, I think um, they don't have to pay tax for the rest of oh, their really? lives or something like that, right? They have like certain policies or some countries, they have like a bonus for you know, people, couples getting married, you know, if you get married, you you get a payout from the government. So yeah. I can sort of see both arguments there. Is okay, mm-hmm. cool. We actually want to encourage marriage, mm-hmm. and there is quite a strong argument that in the West, perhaps there needs to be some sort of incentive, whether that's tax breaks for married couples, or that's yeah. some sort of way to make it easier for people to get on the property ladder or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other perspective, which is just like, nope, it's not it's not government's business. So I don't know what your what your thoughts are on that, and then also sort of the other elements okay. that I mentioned. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's just address the government side of things first of all. I think that at the minute in the UK, um, it's not even a case of incentivizing couples; they're actually putting couples off from marrying. Yes. Because yes. For those who are on lower incomes, you're better off financially mm-hmm. if you don't get married. Yeah. But. The difficulty is there's, I mean, there are lots of organizations who've produced lots of stats and so on um, that are demonstrating the difference that a stable family has on outcomes for kids. Mm. So on one hand, they're saying, hey, don't get married. Um, but it does mean, you know, from if you like, from the government's point of view, it does make financial sense to encourage people to marry yeah. because at the minute, the, the cost of family breakdown, and remember that means couples who have just been living together and separating as well as divorce is about 51 billion pounds in the UK. So oh, wow. they have a... Oh, no, I'm, just, I'm curious as to how, how they measure that. But yeah, yeah I mean, there's all sorts of things that they would be looking at. It's things like obviously paying out benefits as well as mm. time for, you know, for procedures to go through. There's a myriad of things that will come into that kind of figure. And obviously it's an estimation, but 
you know, it's a huge is that, number. Is that annual? Is that every year? Yeah, no. every year, okay. 51 billion a year. So it's one of those things where, you know, if you were going to put on your kind of sensible financial head, as a, if you were running a business, you'd be thinking, okay, we're spending a lot of money on this. We need to do something differently here. Mm. So I do think that the government does need to do more because it's not just about that financial cost, it's that emotional cost. And it's about the impact on society. Yes. Um, knowing that kids from broken homes are statistically, statistically only, okay, yeah, yeah. twice as likely on the whole, to find themselves in difficulties with some of those kind of social issues we talked about earlier. Mm. So I do think that the government does need to do more to encourage that. Um, and I think that it's a tricky one because you don't want to have the whole big brother thing. But I think they at least need to be saying this is what makes, this will make a difference. And let's face it, all governments have a lot to say about divorce procedures and how it should be done and all yes, that kind yes. of stuff. They want to have a lot of say on that side. Yeah. But they don't seem to be doing much to think about stability of families. I, I'm so, with you. I, I'm, I'm very much of the perspective like, look, if the government is going to be involved mm. and the incentives need to be set up in a way that it's encouraging and incentivizing yeah. marriage and stable families rather than yeah. the opposite. Uh, just yeah. like if you're going to have a welfare policy, it shouldn't make more sense for someone to sit at home and play video games than to go and yeah. get a job, right? You, that's, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, but it's striking that right balance as well because, you know, I, you know I've you know, i got somebody very close to me who's, you know, marriage broke up, the impact on the kids and so on. So, you know, my heart goes out to those people and they need to be taken care of. And I take my hat off to single parents. I really do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard. And, you know, I mean, I say people that I know personally are like, you're amazing, you know, genuinely. So we need to take care of those people, but we don't want governments certainly to be encouraging people to stay apart because yeah. what's going to be best for the kids. So that's the kind of the government response. I think as far as family is concerned, I think that family is a really important part of that process. When you get married, you, you have your family, your witnesses there to kind of support you. And actually, again, statistically, your marriage is more likely to last if you've got a decent number of wedding guests. Oh, I'm not yeah. talking thousands, but having a full kind of, you know, wherever you've got married, whether it's a civil place or whether it's a church or mm -hmm. other religious kind of um, I'm, I'm Nigerian. We can do thousands. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> having, having people there just saying, I'm with you. I'm yeah, yeah. behind you, you know. Is, is a real, you know, if you like, my husband was endorsed by my family because they turned up to the wedding and vice versa. There's something significant about that and having that involvement. And I think we are, we are relational people and that's why the coronavirus thing has been so hard because we're missing that connection. Mm. So we all need connection and family is what it's all about. And family can be all kinds of things. Don't get me wrong now. I understand that family can be lots of different things now. But having those family and friends to really support you I think is a big part of relationships working and lasting and and certainly our experience is you know for us for, for us my husband and I if you like what my parents and his parents have kind of passed on to us as well um to help us with our own relationship and and helping it last and work has been really valuable but Absolutely. I think that can be broader as well for friends and others you know to to help and make a difference to one another um yeah. Was there any other, you must have said no, something. I, I, no, I, th I think that's, I think that's most of them. I mean, the only other thing that would jump to my mind, I guess, is 
it's very difficult to quantify, but I guess what you could consider cultural attitudes. Mm. Um, you know, with, with me, for example, like I'm someone who I'm from the UK, but I, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in the Middle East. My family background's from Nigeria. I've traveled around to a lot of different places. And what's interesting is in all those different cultures and societies, when it comes to a lot of things, but certainly when it comes to marriage and children and, you know, those cultural attitudes, they're, they're, they're different in different places. Yeah. Um, so, for example, one of my sort of big criticisms of the modern Western world, as much as I like many aspects of the modern Western world, is very much when it comes to relationships and attitudes towards um, sex and children and families and marriage and all that kind of stuff. I think it's gone. I'll be I'll be totally honest. I think it's gone too liberal, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's gone mm-hmm. too into the. Everyone's just an individual. Do whatever you want. Don't have any yeah. standards. Like, don't judge anybody. Just whatever. Like, if you you know, just go with what you're feeling. Thing, right? Um, yeah. And then you know, there can be another extreme in that, right? I grew up in Saudi Arabia, so if you look in some parts of of the Middle East or certain parts of Asia or certain parts of Africa, for example, it can be you know too restrictive, or it can be mm. sort of too. Um, I don't even know what the right word is. Some of the cultural elements of it can be a little bit regressive in certain countries if you're talking mm-hmm. about you know sort of like forced arranged marriages or yeah. you're talking about let yeah. alone things like child marriage or thing, things like that yeah. right i think yeah. humanity in general seems to struggle to strike a healthy balance <laughs> with, with a lot of things so on one hand it seems like okay like that's gone too far that way that's yeah. too far that way can't we just sort of have like a happy medium where there yeah. there are standards there are things to aspire to People yeah. who want to sort of hit a certain standard and, and achieve that and have society supporting them and things encouraging and incentivizing that without yeah. it sort of going too far one yeah. way or the other where you've got, you know, someone with, I don't know, a guy who's my age and he's got like six children from five different women and that's considered normal, let alone cool or something, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, no, that's not cool. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting one about attitudes now towards relationships and so on. And I come back to this point of this kind of this within us, this kind of hunger for reliable love that, you know, that's something that we all absolutely are wired for. And I think definitely that attitudes now can inhibit that process. And I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, I, you know, just ask my husband, okay, I'm quite feisty at times, you know, and, and I, <laughs> always been one so let's things need to be right and fair and I've got a daughter and a son and I want things to be right and fair for them both Mm -hmm. and you know I will champion my kids and I will support them and I will want that to be the case for them um but I also feel as though there has got to be a point of vulnerability and giving of yourself so to not to always fight for my right this is I deserve this this is this this is what I should have Mm. We've got to strike that balance, I think, in the right way. Let's not be definitely trodden all over. Let's not be exploited. Let's not be, you know, have that kind of abuse going on is absolutely unacceptable. But I think, as you say, the pendulum can sometimes swing too far. And if we get too preoccupied with my rights and what I should be having, you can miss the gem that's in front of you. You can Mm. miss the beauty of life that's in front of you. Mm. So I, I absolutely think that we get that balance right. Be a little bit vulnerable, make connections with somebody and learn about them and be willing to to accept them 
for their mistakes, for the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the things that they may do against you that are just kind of human nature mistakes that happen mm-hmm. and, and almost put the gloves down, stop fighting and, and just embrace what life has for you in that way. And I think there is, as I said, that point of risk. I do believe there's a point of risk in relationships because sometimes you have to take those steps. Even the first date can be a risk, can't it? You know, <laughs> and you, you're not quite sure what they're really thinking. And, but I think you learn about people and almost early on, I would say for anybody who's not married and you're thinking, well, how do I, you know, how do I know if I'm even going to meet the right one and what they're going to be like? And I think, think about the qualities that are important to you. What are the values? And this will be absolutely true for every culture, every background, every scenario. Mm-hmm. What are the values that are important to you? You know, it might be like, I'm big on kindness. I'm not saying I'm always kind or perfectly getting that right. But I, my, my daughter bought me a postcard because she knows I like kindness and it says kindness is power. Nice. And I think if you are looking to meet with someone and you, you know, you want to find the right person, be kind and look for kindness. Mm. That is a great, great thing to kind of base everything else on. And that's not to say, you, you know, you want to fancy them, you want to feel an attraction, <laughs> you know, that's got to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think there are certain qualities, you know, are they somebody who is willing to, to make a sacrifice for you, to put themselves out for you, you know, to, to, to actually put down their rights and listen to what might be valuable to you. Mm. So I think looking for those characteristics that you know are important will help you find the right person and help you learn to be the right person. And again, I'm saying all of this, please don't think that I have got it all sorted. You know, it's a journey. I'm always learning. And the podcast said that we do, my husband and I, the M-Word podcast, we're trying to say, yeah, we don't get it right all the time, or I'm quite emotional, so I can get a bit blubber quite a bit, you know, and <laughs> and we're, when we're having an upset or a disagreement or whatever it might be, and, you know, I can get frustrated with my husband and he can with me, but we I just come back to the fact that you look for those basic qualities, you keep working on them, and you will get a richer life for that, you know, mm. that emotional kind of physical, spiritual connection with one other person is just one of the most beautiful things that I've experienced in my life. Um, for all our faults, for all the things that go wrong, there's so much that's good about that. Awesome. And that's hopefully something that we're modelling to our kids as well um, sure. you know, and making a difference to them, I hope. Awesome. Um, how old are your kids out of curiosity? So my daughter is 17 okay. and my son is 15. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, teenagers. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I look slightly frazzled at times, but you know. Yeah, sure. So given you've been, um, you've been married for over 20 years now, I mean, what are some, let, let's talk like sort of practical, let's talk about practical advice here, right? What can, I know you said, you know, you don't, you don't know everything. Of course, no, nobody knows everything, but you are more of an expert than the vast majority of people. So I can see you're a happy person. I briefly met your husband earlier. I can see you're, you're both happy. It, it radiates yeah. off people, right? You, you can see it. Um, so what would you say has been some of, the, some of the things you've learned or certain things you can pass on or advice that you can give to people, whether they're currently married and they're listening to this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I know a lot of my listeners are married or they're not yet married and are thinking about it. What are some bits of advice you can give to them? Um, okay, so I guess the things that we've learned, the things that we still do, um, I think one is, especially with kids, to carve out time for one another. 
that's probably easier now than at any other time if uh, we're still in isolation this goes out but um but carving time out for each other and we used to have this thing when our kids were little and so you know you couldn't go out as much and have babysitters so we used to have what we'd call wine on wednesday people might have wine on other nights as well but wine on wednesday is our date night at home and people talk about date nights and maybe it sounds cheesy to some but it's it's all about carving out that bit of time so on a wednesday evening we would think right kids are in bed let's have a glass of wine and watch a film and let's make time for each other so i think carving out time for each other for fun but also carving out time for each other just to check in with each other um i think you know my husband he's a physics teacher um and uh, whenever people say to him, oh, what do you do? And he says physics, their face is usually going, hmm, don't know what else to say now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, not me, not anymore. No, I'm always yeah. interested. But no, yeah. in all seriousness, <laughs> take, <laughs> take an interest in one another's hobbies and interests and their, their day at work. You know, when, when my husband comes home, we'll always find a point during the day to connect, to spend some time saying, so what's happened today for you? And I'll say, this has happened for me. And again, celebrating the good stuff and talking about the stuff that's not so easy. I think another really important thing that, that we've learned from others um, and advice that we were given um, is not that I had a whole load of things I wanted to be disparaging about, about my husband, but you know that classic when you're out and people talking about their other halves and saying, oh, such a nightmare, they've done this, da 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 mm. And just being really disparaging about them to lots of people. Yes, yes. I think if, if things are hard in your relationship, and you find things they do difficult, obviously you need to try and talk to them. But it, And it's okay to talk to a trusted friend and offload because you need that as well. But I think just the general disparaging of, of your other half, mm, you know, is mm. not a good thing. And fan. it will only encourage them to feed that back to you. And then you hear it again in your ear and you think, yeah, they are that way. Mm. So I think being careful with what you say outside of things. Um, and so, yeah, that investment in one another having each other's back, you know, supporting one another and mm -hmm. um, listening. And again, that people talk about communication. Oh yeah. Communication. That's a big deal. And I was talk about, and I've, I know I've done resources for marriage week last year. We talked about communication quite a bit. And you know, when some people, you know, they're only listening to, to you and they're just really waiting so they can say their next thing. They're not listening to understand. They're listening to wait for the gap mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. their next line in mm -hmm. and listen to understand as well as, you know, bringing your views and opinions into the conversation. Um, what else? Conflict is always another one, isn't it? Where oh, yes, of course. What do you do in those situations? One thing, don't be depressed if you, if you have conflict because you're mm. going to disagree. You've got two different people living together. You cannot possibly agree on everything. And equally, you might find you disagree on a lot. So find a way of understanding one, each, one another and take time outside of the argument to understand. And don't beat yourselves up about it if you feel really frustrated with them. Just mm. give yourself some space. You know, I think it's very easy. It's the same with parenting. You can so easily go on a guilt trip about what you should have done or what you could have said or what you should have, how you should have behaved. But actually give yourself some slack as well. Don't be too hard on yourself. But just keep those lines of communication open as a couple. Forgive one another. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on a roll now, honestly. I'm you sorry. Are. <laughs> you are. Ten commandments. But, you know, forgiveness. <laughs> you know, if you don't have forgiveness and bitterness builds up, you know, and... 
it's it's a horrible thing and if you're the person who won't forgive you're the one that usually suffers the most you're living with it and it eats away at you so you know well, be i've heard that i've heard that resentment is sort of the the biggest killer of any yeah of any of any relationship right if you allow feelings of resentment to sort of grow and fester mm-hmm. to the point where that's you know it be- it becomes a little bit all all consuming doesn't it mm-hmm. if people don't if people yeah. don't vent their frustrations or conflicts yeah. are not resolved sort of when they should be yeah. then these things can build up over months and over years and potentially even over decades to the point where you end up with two people who whilst on paper they may technically love each other but they just feel so much you know resentment and yeah and it causes you to drift apart because you you can't find there's anything like that you can't connect in the way that you did and you have to remove those obstacles to allow that connection to carry Mm -hmm. on um i'm going to mention the other thing as well i was just thinking because last year we did um, our theme for marriage week was a recipe for a healthy marriage and we talked about particular things and one of them was intimacy and you know, sometimes when you talk about sex and intimacy, um, it's, you know, it, it's, you know, for a lot of people think, well, you know, it's, it's all about the experience of that and how good is it for me? Mm. And, and I would say, again, something that I've learned, it's about, you know, it is absolutely about what we're giving to one another. It's a gift, if you like, if that, mm. again, I'm careful that I don't sound too cheesy about this because in the no, reality, it's <laughs> no, it's, it's not fine. Cheesy. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of it sounds cheesy out loud, but it's not. And I think I use the word intimacy as well because I think um, actually connecting with your other half in all sorts of ways, and it can be it can be just holding their hand or sitting close on the sofa, mm. gives you a point of intimacy and connection with that person. Touch is a really important thing, even if you're not somebody who's kind of naturally huggy or that. You know, I'm quite a tactile person anyway. Um, but I think even the person tactile, you're I like in, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard someone describe themselves as tactile before, so I like that. Well, you know, well, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the first art, real talk, this evening. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm a touchy kind of feely person, you know. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, and I think my husband is, is quite similar in some ways. And I think even if you're not that kind of person, you do need that point of connection. And do you know something as well? I, I you know, I... I've had some interesting talks with my kids about sex because they do bring it up sometimes, you know. It's a bit of an awkward one with teenagers, you know, sure. do they really want to talk about this or not? And and I've often sort of tried to explain to them about our choices and what we've chosen to do and how we've lived our lives and the choices we've made before we got married and so on. And so actually, if you are really in love with someone, if you know that you are completely committed to that other person, so it comes back to this Again, this point of commitment that you have in marriage and civil partnerships, when you know that that commitment is a, is an equal thing, I've said to them, it makes the sex so much better because mm. you've got that security and stability um, that comes with that. Um, and there might be people thinking, I have great sex and I'm not, you know, I'm just <laughs> my experience, so I'm not making a judgment on anybody else. This is my yeah. experience, you know, that point of connection um, in sex and intimacy is, you know, the better it is, is, you know, based on the kind of, for me, that security and foundations of the relationship. So I think that's, there's a lot of advice that I'm giving there all. That, no, that's good. People, so, people need it. People need it. Yeah. I'm sure so, there's someone listening who, you know, something, something that's been said here, if not multiple things that have been said here are going to create that spark in their brain or, you know, yeah. if they're in a relationship or if they are married, it'll hopefully help yeah. some people to, you know, just 
either hear something for the first time or more likely be reminded of something that they probably just sort of yeah just let slack, let slip because it it does happen in in anything, yeah. right? Sometimes you need to go Completely. back to the fundamentals. Yeah, it's easy definitely to kind of just neglect your relationship at times and that's why drifting apart is the biggest reasons that people separate. So mm. That's why I said at the beginning, carve out time, keep investing and value. You know, it's the most important relationship in your life and if that's good, it's good for your kids. So it's that, you know, you said about earlier about the importance of kids yes. and I think having a strong relationship with my husband means I'm going to really be giving something good to my kids, I hope. So... Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job from what I can gather. So I applaud you. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Michaela, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's been, it's been really different from, uh, it's actually a, a topic we haven't really, really covered on the, on the podcast thus far. So. Uh-oh. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to chat to you. Really good. I feel privileged to be on your podcast, Subi, So <laughs> Awesome. Privileged to have you. And uh, we will talk soon. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.